They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come so, Badders, welcome to Bad Boy Running. And our next guest actually kind of popped their head up on, I think it was Runners World or similar, just at a time when we'd been talking about, um, with Safer Power and a few other runners, about the dif- difficulties in um, trying to ensure that, w- that the sport is ex- as accessible to women as possible, um, given the the obstacles into getting into the sport, the culture, but also, you know, as, pri- as, as still for many relationships of primary caregiver, um, that creates a, a huge um addition of of problems in trying to train and get um get at into a race so um welcome to the podcast to tell us about how they've approached um approached differently um as a race organizer Caleb Defter and Kelsey Banasinski Did I get your, your second names right? I hadn't practiced it before. And I was just saying, you, like, did, oh God. you did excellent. And honestly, yeah, it's more about confidence, I feel like, in saying my last name than even saying it right, because I will barely correct you. So great job. <laughs> well, firstly, how did how did you two meet each other? Oh, we have we have a runner's love story, really. Um, so we're both Midwest, pretty much born and bred, moved out to Colorado on our own. And um, Caleb had been living in Colorado longer than me, and I stumbled upon um, essentially a running group that he was putting on. I had been in Colorado a year, was trying to make friends, saw some people running on the trail, and I was like, oh, um, what's this? Like, (laughs) seems organized. You guys do this a lot. I need some people in my life. And they're like, we meet every Tuesday. We're the Golden Mountain Runners. And I showed up the next Tuesday, and the rest is pretty much history. He kind of just... I had a no dating policy yeah. in a running group because it was, <laughs> you know, it's a bit incestual if you all start dating each other. So I've never how, how big was the group? Is because it, it varied. Maybe I mean when we first started it, it was like five people, but now it's you know sixty people show up every day. Um, it was probably like twenty or so at the time. Probably thirty. Twenty to thirty at the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and but she rolled up and I swooped. Um, I broke my own roll. <laughs> Uh, you nice. <laughs> <it worked out. laughs> you just did it. Yep. Just did it, and then uh, he was in the process of putting on high lonesome, uh, and when we started dating, and so within the first like six eight months, mm-hmm. we were all of a sudden launching a business together. I kind of told him I was She's joining. Trying. I didn't really give him much of an yeah. option, and <laughs> I've been working on a race for almost a year and a half at that point, and she was like, "What's this? It looks cool. I want in." <laughs> And, and actually, we've because we've um, we've spoken to many many American runners and athletes, but we haven't spoken. I don't think to any race organizers in in terms of. It's, it's interesting the way you you worded that because it it I don't think a, a British race organizer would have the same maybe the same structure where you said so we went into business together to to form a race whereas in the uk it feels more like that people just kind of show up and turn start doing a race and at some point like oh god i probably need some legal protection in case (laughs) case i kill loads of people but um like if you were to when you start a race in the states what what do you actually need to do legally and 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 would sensibly to actually get it off the ground (laughs) those are two very different questions (laughs) what do you need and what do you need sensibly are polar opposites um i mean uh, frankly a lot of races start up the way you just described they're mom and we call them mom and pop races they're grassroots yeah yeah people are running in an area they're passionate about and they're like it'd be fun to have a race here and so them and some friends pitch together and do a race and then you know they do it again and again and eventually it just kind of evolves into something um there are plenty of other people who have done what we've done as well. I think it it sort of became easier with the dawn of the internet to make kind of the basics work. So you mm. websites and business structures and that kind of stuff. But it's really quite simple. You form a, a legal entity, which is $30 in the state of Colorado, and you pick a name. 
and then you start permitting. And uh, that's the hardest part in the US, I think over most places is the permitting process is, is quite extensive and it's very restrictive. Uh, that's why all of our races are so small um, mm. because you know ours is capped at 150. Um, and I think the biggest in the US- By the, by the, by the land management yeah. agencies. So we don't set those caps, yeah. Yeah, uh, and so it's sort of just, you know, you, you then you buy a bunch of shit or borrow a bunch of stuff. And can I swear on this podcast? Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah. So buy shelters and water jugs and food and tables, and you just start putting it together. Um, and, and, and when I say we went into business together, really what happened was Caleb was putting this on. He didn't really fill me in on what was happening. So our relationship was so new, but I was like, I think you're going to need some more hands. I'll just show up with some burritos for the weekend. And I'm and sure that, I'll that's going to work in any, any walk of life, right? And you turn up with burritos. In yeah. fact, I felt like I was one of the more she was. famous or exciting people to see because I always had food with me and everyone else was like, yeah, didn't really understand that we wouldn't have time to go get food. So we all right. lived off of jerky, oatmeal, cream pies, and burritos for that first year. And um, <laughs> first two of those are quite hideous. Yeah, and we can't eat them anymore. So, uh, so yeah, so going into get business together year one was is very light, but now we do officially yeah. do business together. So and and when <laughs> you're saying you you apply for permissions, is is that from? Would there be one? organization across a state or is it park by park or is it nationwide or like who who would those bodies be yeah it, it varies i mean the u.s is is incredibly fortunate that we have vast swaths of, of land that's public land and it's owned mm. by us the american people and it's managed in trust by various government agencies but it's ours um and so the only thing that you have to do to put on a commercial event of our scale is simply get permission because you're monetizing it and so they want to have some restrictions in place to make sure the resource is protected um in the western united states the primary land groups that most people apply through are the united states forest service which predominantly manages the mountainous region and the bureau of land management which primarily manages grasslands and deserts um and our specific range we're exclusively on united states forest uh, land, county land, and then we also um, lease some land from the state of Colorado to actually do our start and finish land. Hmm. So we go through three permitting agencies, which is uh, probably typical. The average, yeah. Yeah. Because um, there's different regions within the U.S. Forest Service. And so if you're in a different, if you're in a big swath of land and crossing through different districts, essentially, then you hmm. would have to talk to all of those people, yeah. even though they're all one forest service, they're all kind of different entities. Mm -hmm. So we use two forest districts, but we're only three miles in one and we're 97 in the other. Uh, so it's it's pretty straightforward for us, but there are you know, races like Hard Rock, for example, they go through three ranger districts, BLM, state, four towns. I mean, it's a permitting disaster for them, but yeah, they're good at it. So <laughs> they've done it yeah. but yeah there's usually a couple i think everybody has to go through and do, do you think because I, I was out in colorado for pike's peak and i was really um i was blown away by the trail actually in that it's it's almost such a um a chiseled trail the trail it's really you know very specifically man-made design and um almost every rock is manicured um, do you think the like, like those 150 limits that are typical, is that just a number that people have felt feels right that now is established as, you know, 151 is going to destroy everything? <laughs> or is, is it actually a case you think that more than that is damaging to the type of terrain that races are typically, typically on? I think that, that probably varies. Um, I'm sort of answering most of this because I do most of our permitting. Um, so I sort of live in this world a lot. Um, <laughs> the, the United States average for hundred mile races on forest service land is actually about 300. Um, yeah. And so I've used that data point to try to advocate our forest service for an additional 150 runners. Cause that would significantly ease lottery woes. Um, but our forest is uh, bordered to Leadville, which is the, the Lake Ranger district. And that is, or Lake County rather. Um, and you know, they've seen a thousand runners on trails and that scarred them to a, a pretty 
deep level. <laughs> so uh, it's, you know, we, we're, we're a low cap even by US standards. Um, you look at a lot of the, re- like we always sort of bucket ourselves in just the hard rock qualifier, Western States qualifier zone, because that's the cleanest place for us to look. And if you look at most of those hundred milers, even in the mountain West, most of them are in, you know, 200s to 400s pretty comfortably. Um, and is it the and, impact on the trail itself or on wildlife or on plants? It, it's everything. It's not mm. just, it's not just what, what you mentioned. It's also on other people. Yeah. It is public land and other people are going out there to have their own adventures and experiences. And so mm. having events are disruptive to them. Um, you've got, uh, county infrastructure that plays a role in this too. If you have hospitals, grocery stores, lodging, um, porta potties sometimes come up in these conversations where people are going to like defecate because we don't want people pooping in the woods. And, you know, in, in the U S we have so much Alpine, well, sorry, not, in the Sawatch, we have so much Alpine terrain that if you, you know, did a solid waste defecation up there, it won't decompose for 40 or 50 years. And so there's all these random conversations yeah and it, it and it varies by each district and you've got yeah. some districts that are just completely cowboy and they do not give a shit what you do in there um yeah and other districts like ours that are incredibly detail-oriented and very precise and they're having specialists and biologists doing reviews and and inspections to make sure things are done more or less perfectly um but i, I don't think I mean, a lot of trails are, are capable of handling high volume. They're built well. Say, uh, and so it's not really the trail itself, I think, that comes into play the most. No, and I was say, if you if we did 300 versus 150 runners on that tread, I don't think you would notice a big difference unless there was some rain event that mm. caused like mm. higher risk. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think that the erosion to the tread is it. And honestly, when we no. bring in people we do a lot of work on these trails. Like the number of hours Caleb spends clearing and maintaining, we have several work days. So like at the end of the day, if you were to Mm. look at like, well, what damage might we do versus what we're doing to improve the area? I think we could argue that we're doing more to improve and more people probably engaged would improve the land more. Yeah. Very long-winded answer though, to your question. I I think the engagement piece, (laughs) but I think the engagement piece is really valid because studies have shown that, the more people are in touch with nature, then the more they care for it. And right, there's them. Exactly. Um, and does that then mean that it does, because that must have a fundamental impact on the, the ability of companies to kind of thrive and grow and, and actually even be full-time businesses because you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're in essence limiting the amount of money one race can make to how much 150 people are, are willing to pay for a race which hopefully isn't well hopefully is a fair bit but hopefully people aren't being charged crazy amounts so actually your does that have a big impact then on the viability of races as businesses oh yeah 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 that, that uh I wish you had said that about six years ago. <laughs> I mean, we knew it. Yeah. it. It's taken us a long time really to get to time. green, right? And I think yeah. it opens up a whole nother conversation of what should races be charging? Because, you know, I think mm. uh, we've heard it for ourselves. People complain about other races, but at the end of the day, like one, don't we deserve a bit of minimum or a, a livable wage? And don't our, the people yeah. that we pay to do things, our photographers, the other people, shouldn't we pay them the right amount? Yeah. And we have to invest and build the infrastructure. We need tents. We need all of these things to put on this backcountry event. And so there is a price. And it's interesting to hear people complain about our price in particular, because we're like, we've, we've just gotten to green in like the last, what, two years? Two years. Well, it wasn't even because COVID fucked us. Yeah. So like, we're, um, we're certainly not raking in money. And yes, it's, yeah. it takes a long time to, yeah. to get to a place of viability, essentially. We, we put a lot of our money down up front to mm-hmm. like float the first four years. And does that then mean because there's, there is, I wouldn't say there's a culture, but there's quite a few races in the UK you turn up. And they're pretty crappy because you you throw yeah, a few exactly. few quid in, few quid in, and you don't expect anything out. Whereas I guess if does, does it then mean that because you're having to 
charge quite a bit, you then have to put on quite a bit, which means you then have to charge quite a bit more. Is, is that almost a trap in itself? You have to find a balance. Yeah. You certainly do, right? Like we're not making all homemade foods, but we do have hot foods at most of our like aid stations, especially the night ones, which means mm. multiple grills, multiple whatever, right? And so- We have live tracking, which costs, I think we put in seven to $8,000 in equipment and, and supplies for like just yeah. electronics and power generation and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and and there's a lot of races in the U.S. are still these like very basic races, mm. um, and a lot of that is genuinely because they don't have the infrastructure to support them. I mean, the you know the U.K. and a lot of Europe is fortunate; it's incredibly dense, and so there's a lot of structure and support in in yeah. areas. And you can drive everywhere. Yeah, and in the Western United States, you can still drive everywhere. It just takes four hours longer. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we've got. You know, our, our, our immediate county is 20,000 people and our towns are about 4,000 people apiece. And we're in a pretty populous county. Um, Comparatively. I, yeah, we've, I've run races in, in Idaho and Wyoming where the biggest town was 400 people and the closest hospital was two hours away. Uh, and so those, those races just can't, they can't bring in, especially in the beginning when they're growing, they can't bring in enough volunteers. They can't get enough yeah. runners. There's not enough Airbnbs or hotels or restaurants. And so there is, there is a very, um, and I, I actually prefer this. I like this in the sport that there's this mm. very uh, simple and no frills, rather basic race um, that you can find just about anywhere. And then there's middle tier of races. They're usually a little bit older that have some infrastructure. They're closer to places or they're more historic. And then you've got really big popular races that have massive support networks. Um, and, and we're lucky to be one of those races because we draw, I think this year we had 180 volunteers for 150 runners. I mean, that is incredible. Wow. Yeah. What are they doing? Uh, <laughs> that sounds desperately inefficient. <laughs> You're going to have to come back out. David. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it varies a lot because of the distances too like yeah. kelsey was saying we do real foods at most of our aid stations um you know our longest aid station is open for what's raspberry or blank so they about 24 hours open continuously Probably, yeah wow. okay yeah so need multiple shifts and, yeah. and you know i think this comes down to like well what is the race what's the race culture what is the race culture right and for us it's like making sure our volunteers feel comfortable just as much as our runners and so like yeah. we invest a lot of time and money in building out things so that when volunteers do come like they're not for up for 24 hours without getting a bite to eat without being warm you know yeah. like they deserve just as good of an experience as yeah. the runners and that's where i think and we learned that the hard way the first <laughs> <laughs> two years you know we, we people just gave everything and were crushed for weeks after the race yeah they didn't even run they just worked it yeah. yeah i think that's the difference right with like a lot of the, the price points and the cultures i mean there's so many nuances behind the scenes that go into that that i think you don't see as a runner i never saw it i didn't realize it until we started putting these on you're like oh all these decisions you know, one cost money and two have like a massive implication for how mm -hmm. people experience or see the race. And so mm -hmm. do you want to invest in that way? Like those are the discussions we have, we have all the time of like, yeah. is that worth the spend? Is that worth our time to do? Yeah. Well, I guess that's your, that's your repeat customer versus having to market yeah. for every customer, right? Is right. getting that right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, cause we, before we started recording with you, you did ask about, whether there were um, many races in the UK that did applicate, that did um, lotteries and where you had to get drawn. And actually thinking about it, that's probably why, because the sizes aren't capped in the same way. Um, oh. And I, 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 I assume it's because our trails are, they're just so worn in, you know, you just. <laughs> they just been, forget it. They're, they're just, yeah, exactly. They're just <laughs> massive scars, all their private land, but typically They've, they've been you know run for hundreds of years or walked for hundreds of years and so um so maybe i think not having that cap means that we don't necessarily have as many races that have limits and without limits then actually there is in a good way it's, it's accessible for everyone um but whether that but we're still facing the challenge that accessible doesn't mean accessible on paper doesn't mean accessible in practice in practice. Um, so when did you decide to um, 
when did you first have to do a lottery? And when did you decide that you didn't want to just do it? Everyone has equal rights. Well, we we started off with 75 runners our first year. We sold out in a couple months. And then next year we had 100 runners and we sold out in a couple weeks. And then the third year we had 125 runners and we sold out in seven minutes. And because I thought it was hilarious, I did the registration opening at one o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> on, Enjoyable for him, not for anyone else. I don't even think I did it on a nice day. I think I just opened it on like a Thursday or something. No, <laughs> People can sleep. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, he had laser of Hawaiians signing up thinking, this is great. I'm uh, yeah, it's well, a perfect time uh, honestly, for me. The, yeah. The, the West Coasters didn't have as big of a problem as, you know, the Europeans and the East Coasters. It was three in the morning for them. And, um, and we sold out in seven minutes and we had a wait list um, like 150 some deep in, in another seven minutes. And we realized there we're like, okay, this is, you know, we're not going to get many more runners. So this is probably close to our current cap. And obviously, people are going to be benefiting from internet speeds here. Uh, and, and out of interest, where do you think the the difference in those, who were the those people, the, the 75 difference between the 75, 150, where do you think they came from? And like with each jump, what do you think caused that? Uh, we have a great race. Yeah. And people want to run it. Um, we're and, just kept getting out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were benefited in 2019 because we became a hard rock qualifier. Um, nice. Yeah. That was, that's really helpful. Um, but I mean, the race was, it is in a place that's stunningly beautiful, that's close to Denver and the metropolises that have wonderful running communities. Um, we always hired professional photographers to shoot it. And so people would see pictures and, and they looked good. You know, the picture itself was well done. And so yeah. the race was well done and the runners did well. And it sort of just amplified on itself. Um, and I think there's a big need at that time. I think when we first started High Lonesome, there were far less hundreds than there are today in the U.S. and especially in Colorado. And mm. everyone was waiting in line for lotteries like Hard Rock mm. and Western. And, and they wanted big mountain races that were a huge challenge and had a down-home feel. And they weren't like these commercial events. And I think that we just ended up really timely. So mm. essentially producing a product that people wanted. Yeah. And that's still unique. I mean, there are yeah six, seven more hundred milers since we started in Colorado and none of them go above the tree line more than we do. Yeah. Um, the ones that do are out and backs for courses that some people prefer, but many runners don't find as aesthetic um, or as interesting of lines. And so having, you know, a massive loop essentially that, mm. that starts and finishes in the same place that's organic and uncontrived and difficult, but accessible. It was this just a perfect combo for a lot of people. You could do it as your first hundred or you could do it as, your 15th and you'd still find it challenging and you'd still find it accessible. Caleb is a waste of uh, waste. Caleb is a race uh, developer wizard. Like he's just very good at finding lines because he, he likes it. I'm picky as shit. And man. he's very picky and opinionated, yeah. which is what part really why he founded the race, like why this idea came up. Cause he was, he wanted a race that he really wanted to run and he was getting tired of seeing some of the things out there. So yeah. and not to diss those races, plenty of people like that style. It's just that I didn't like that style and I wanted something that I wanted to run. Um, you know? Yeah. I, th I think out back or loop for me would depend on what I was wanting at that time, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think flavors. none of them are wrong. Yeah. yeah. I think out and back for my first hundred, I'd probably prefer an out and back just because it's, it's more ticking off the miles. It's mm. you're you right. It feels like you're making gains more um, than the loop where you're, you're still just running to a hundred, aren't you? You're not, you're not, you're not running to 50 in the same way. Um, right. and, and so, so then at what point did you decide the lottery system would, um, wouldn't be just equal for everyone? We talked about it before because we saw the lottery writing on the wall mm. but i, I for don't our fourth year for, right? yeah. so we put, put lottery in place for the fourth year yeah which we announced it in mid 2019 yeah um i don't i don't remember i wish i remembered the exact conversation we had and, and when it was i think we had just been talking about like there we had a lot of reticence about doing a lottery because we had seen how systems could 
be built and an inevitable bias would be built into them over time just because right we can get into that more but like how do we essentially build this in a way to avoid as much inherent bias as we could right and yeah. we just didn't that was not it's really important to us to, yeah. to be equitable not and only what, gender wise but across the board so where were you thinking that the bias would naturally lean or or was in most of danger of leaning towards well towards matt and right like if you build a lottery that is based on certain points like you get extra points for us it's you get extra points for trail work or coming to volunteer or for being a reoccurring runner and so right now at our time in ultra running history Mm. if you look at even non-lottery races the breakdown of men versus women running 100 miles or distances longer than 50 miles it's more men than women so if we built a lottery that you got points for being a reoccurring runner and we know that there's more men than women that run these races at this time not necessarily because of what we're doing but just because of society and culture yeah yeah, yeah. we're going to inherently continue to promote more men in in running 100 milers or in our race because we're giving them more points right so yeah essentially the only way to mitigate any of the, the implicit biases that are going to be built into a lottery is to remove any form of control whatsoever and have a fully randomized entry process. So no qualification requirements whatsoever because that skews entrance. Um, no favoritism for previous applications, for previous finishes, um, for elites or not elites, gender. Just nothing. You put your nothing. name in and it's it gets drawn. Fully randomized. One, one point per person. Mm-hmm. And we didn't feel like that was the type of lottery we wanted. We did want qualifiers because we feel like that's necessary to make yeah. sure runners that are coming into the race are, are prepared and experienced enough to have a safe experience. Yeah. Um, we also like reoccurring runners coming back to a certain percentage because it helps continuity of culture stay in the sport and stay in our race specifically. And so we wanted to have some sort of reoccurring people to come back to build um, that culture and help maintain it. Um, but we also knew that if we didn't have something that sort of checked how those, like Kelsey was saying, those reoccurring runners are being sort of picked or placed, hmm. we were going to just see a creep in the ratio is going heavily and heavily or more men because more men are finishing the race than women are finishing the race by virtue that more are starting the race than women are starting the race. So we, we just tossed out the idea of what if we split it? Like we actually, like yeah, we could we... do it proportionally. We could do a straight split. And I think the straight split just felt, it terrified me. Kelsey was more gun I was scared <laughs> shitless. Yeah, we had to, we had to really ease you into that one. But, I'm, but I'm not, not because, not because you didn't it, believe it. Yeah. But because we're a young race. We're yeah. doing something no one's ever done. We're yeah. a three-year-old race. Like, we're taking a huge fucking stand on something that some people are very, very vehemently against. Um, and it was terrifying. But we... We ended up having, we did a night... Um, essentially like a brainstorming night, like my, uh, job outside of putting on races with Caleb is in the consumer packaged goods industry. I work as a food scientist and business developer. And so we do a lot in innovation and like, how do we build we products that people want, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I should have called you so, about a different stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> happy to talk more about that. Um, so we had a night where we invited like 20, 15 people, not 20, about 15 people over from, from the community at large, like in the front range. And we were like, help us solve this problem. And it was before we decided 50 to mm-hmm. split is what we want to do. But right, if we're going to a lottery, how do we make sure that we build an equitable race? Um, what are the problems that women are facing that other groups are facing to make sure that we have an equitable representation in our running field? And so we came up with a huge list of ideas, right? Like, could we provide childcare, um, more women representation at aid stations or in our leadership roles? How does the website look? What's our language that we're using? I mean, there's just a whole litany of things. But qualifier at the, status. Qualifier status, but at the end of the day, the biggest impact item in terms of making the lottery equitable came down to, we'll just make it 50, 50, like just you get 50% of spots for men and 50% of women because anything else you over time, right? Those yeah. are slow burn options. And we didn't, we didn't, well, we do some of them actually. It's not, we're not opposed yeah. to them, but we didn't want the lottery to get out of hand. So we, we can't solve society. And we can't solve systemic issues on our own. And so if we had sat around and said, well, we've identified all these long-term systemic issues that we 
know are affecting women and their participation in running. Um, and since we can't control them, we're going to just do a little bit we can to, to make it a little better. And we just have to wait and wait and wait and wait to see society evolve over the course of a fucking century to get better. And instead we were like, well, screw that. Like, what can we control? We can control our race and we're going to do what we want the sport to look like now. And, and, and it's then, easy to do now because we're starting from ground zero. So there was no, no baggage. We could start fresh and clean and, and have a really good system from the beginning. And in terms of the the applications of previous year, because you mentioned there was sold out in um, seven minutes, there was a wait list of another 150. Um, how many women had actually registered interest in the previous year? To, did, like, did you know that you had 75 applications no. coming into it that you're like, it's fine if we put 75 spots down, they'll go? Or was there a risk that... You're going to be like, oh, shit, sorry, guys. Actually, <laughs> we, we need money so you can yeah. all come and join. Yeah. yeah. Oh, poignant question. Yeah, it's a good question. We we did we did run that risk. We had at the maximum registration, so immediately after registration and the wait list, like that, that day, essentially, we had, I think it was like just under 70 women. You're talking about the first, the first year of the lottery? In 2019. But what was it before those years? What it was, was about like 22%. 20, 20% of people sign, signing up for women. Yeah. Okay. And so when <clears throat> when we looked at our, and that the first year we did the lottery had 125 caps. So it was split 60 to 67. And our lottery documentation is pretty extensive and it goes into this sort of thing. So whichever pool is larger, if we have an uneven number of spots, since 125 doesn't divide evenly, the larger pool gets the extra spot. If one of the pools fails to fill, the extra spots go to the pool that didn't fill. If that pool, uh, if both pools are like, basically we didn't have enough applicants to even fill all of our spots, then it goes to open registration. Like we sort of tried to like cover our bases here in case everybody hated it and didn't apply. Yeah. Um, but we had we had um, was it 92 women apply the first year for 60 some spots. Yeah, so it turned out, um, turned so, out well, but it was a risk that we were worried that we would do this and then not a, enough women would show up. And then people who were saying that women aren't interested in running hundreds or women aren't don't like these challenges in the same way as men would be kind validated. of validated, you know, but it hasn't. We knew that wasn't, we know that's not the case, right? But still people showing up matters, even if they didn't, we didn't, wouldn't think that was still true, but we just didn't want to give more. Yeah. It was nerve wracking, right? To give people an opportunity to really come down on us should it not work the way we thought it would. And, and with those 92, um, was that because of word of mouth about the policy or do you think it? Somewhat. I mean, the policy definitely affected some registration because we get, people will tell us that they signed up because of it. Yeah. Um, it had to have, because it, it was a big jump. Hmm. So I think yeah. that and just again, being in another you know, we, we spend a lot of time, it's community is really important to us. Like, mm. and so I think spending the time that we have investing in our community here and in like the front range, just a few hours away, I think that's also been, I, I don't know what percentage of what, right, is, mm. has brought in more women, but yeah. I think all of it plays a big role. I think if I was a female, I'd, I'd, if I had a choice between a race that had positive discrimination in this way and one that didn't, I'd want to yeah. almost reward the one that had put this policy in place so improve my chances yeah, but also so. you're almost saying hey thanks for actually doing this and yeah. hopefully yeah. an added benefit that it will be a slightly different culture towards um more suiting yeah. um and and what kind of knock-on effect has that had on because you mentioned that you wanted to ensure some continuity of, of previous years you wanted to ensure that the, the fast runners have come back, that people have got experience. And I think that is right for a hundred miler. You, you know, you, you're unsure that places are going to people who genuinely stand a chance finishing. Um, did it have any negative impact on those buckets of people? The number of repeat runners did go down because the lottery, it, it's a, I like math. So there's a bell curve. Yeah. And your first finish is worth some, your middle two are worth the most, and then it diminishes and drops off again. That way there's sort of this like limit okay. to how many boosts you get. Yeah. So see, that yeah. person who's run 10 times, 
you're not getting these insane odds because yeah. you've already had the benefit of running 10 times. And so there's a increasing and then diminishing returns at a certain point. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that, that that many people wanted to run just meant that there was they're diluted yeah just there's more competition for fewer spots in a way um but i don't think we saw there's no change of culture there's no change of culture and i i don't think nobody not nobody was coming to us being like i'm done being a reoccurring runner well one person maybe one okay like (laughs) one out of you know hundreds right we of course upset you always upset somebody but nobody was like how dare you i mean men stand behind this just as strongly as women do and i think we even heard that this year of um our runners like when we were out there on the course like oh my gosh look at how many women are here like not only do i feel more competitive but like this feels awesome and that was a sentiment echoed by both genders right it didn't matter um it was really fun i think for everyone to see this more equitable field yeah yeah, I think there's a common misperception that the only people who really support these kind of policies are women, and that's bullshit, because there's yeah. a shit ton of men in this sport who are passionate about equity, um, and a lot of them are friends or, or partners to or married to strong, independent women, and they want to see those people succeed and have benefits and opportunities, too, and so I, I think, to your point, I think some women definitely pick us out because of the policies that we have, and I think some men do the same. Yeah. I think men genuinely find, even though that they're you know, you can look at it in somewhat negative light and say, oh, my odds are less now as a man to get into this race. Mathematically, that's accurate. Um, but I don't think a lot of people who are in that spot look at that as, as a problem. They see that as just an opportunity cost. In order for us to move the needle, they have a slightly less benefit. And if they want that benefit, they can go to just about any other race in the sport and have all the benefits of being a traditional white man in America and have all the, all the perks. Have you seen an increase in applicants from creepy dudes? Creepy dudes? I don't know. That's a good question. Oh, like because there's more women here. Oh, that's so gross, David. Um, um, no, we don't have on our like registration. Are you creepy dude? So it's been hard to track that. We should we should come up with some question that only creepy dudes would answer creepily, but it's subtle enough. I can help you with that. I think think the creepy dudes know that. this race is put on by two very outspoken individuals that if you showed up creepily to our race, you'd immediately get kicked out. I don't, we have a zero tolerance, poler, yeah. tolerance policy for creepiness, male or female. So, um, so yeah, so no, they haven't shown up and they make a lot of comments online and they also <laughs> don't like my responses or Caleb's responses. So they just, they just don't come. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good for everyone that way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what do you think that, do you think it has had, an, an actual impact on the wider community or do you think it's more that it's been a magnet for women to come to your races than to other races this is hard to quantify so to qualify probably both of our responses this is our perceptions yeah um i think it has had an impact in the broader sport um we hear it talked about more and more we see our name coming up more and more when people are criticizing other races, which has benefits, but we don't always love the way the criticism is being phrased or done, but it's nice to know that there is at least- Create a standard sort of, or something to a it, goal. I maybe. think it's like a feasibility test. Yeah, like we're showing proof of concept yeah. here. Yeah. You can do this if you want, and, and it's not the right fit for everybody. And, and we don't think there's not the one answer to yeah. the lottery this way. There's a lot of ways to I mean, like improve diversity, but most races in America are also not lotteries. And so our method of making a lottery that's split equitably doesn't apply to a race that's not mm-hmm. selling out. It's not going to work. It doesn't matter. So I think it has made a difference. I think we've also, you know, we, we see it intimately in our own race pretty, pretty significantly. Um We have people who come out to volunteer just because we do this. We have people who, Mm. uh, when they don't get in, they come out and volunteer because they want to get in next year and they want to be a part of the race still. And they want to see that success. We've had sponsors seek us out because of what we do. We've had races, uh, previous sponsors who sponsored races that left because of gender issues and saw us out because of our um, progressiveness here. 
I think it's it started a conversation one or, or given more fire to the conversation. It was a conversation that was going on before us. Like we're not the founders of that. And then I think the other thing too that I'm excited about, and just it's just too early, but look, we have more women running hundred milers. We have more women putting in for our race. Therefore, we're going to have more women finishers. And that's going to have a snowballing effect because that's going to encourage more women, whether it's our race or someone else's to start getting into the sport, because it's again, a proven concept. Oh yeah. Women are just as capable of running a hundred milers. We knew this, but look at, look at this obvious example, I guess I'm going to go sign up for a hundred miler too. Let me go give it a try. Right. So I think that Mm -hmm. as the years go on, like our hope with this policy as well, is that it's just going to get more engagement regardless of if it's our race or not. And what would you say the the kind of notable impact has been on culture or in ways that you maybe haven't expected that could be hopefully for the better, but maybe some that actually turn out to be a, a bit annoying? I can speak to the annoying one. <laughs> um, Probably more toilets for one. <laughs> actually, yes. Um, I, I, I adore this race and there's so many things about it that I want to talk about. And I talk the most about gender equity and that's important. And I love talking about it and we love talking about it and and being in this position, but there is an element of sort of almost like soapbox pigeonholing ourselves here where we're the, we're the race that's really stoked on this one thing. And that's all we Mm. do. And all we talk about, And, and it's, if you come to the race, you realize like, in race week Mm. this rarely gets commented on except from just commenting on the the proportions and just being like oh wow we got some fast females we got some fast dudes oh there's so many women this year it's great that kind of thing but like once the race is going on like the the race is just incredible on all of these elements and so i think it's just fun to see people at the race because they get if they've never seen us before, except these podcasts or, or posts yeah. or blogs, like they see right away that there's a, a lot of depth to the race beyond just this one part. And that's all due to the community, which is itself varied and diverse and wonderful to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of, because obviously gender equality is important, but um, equally there's, there's probably more obstacles to um, disadvantaged backgrounds, people of color, and the slightly harder to, to give a percentage of places to those individuals and actually the, ob- the ob- obstacles probably aren't as much getting a place as potentially economic. But have you come under criticism for only, well, for, for making the draw just down one line and not across other lines as well? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, a, it's not an invalid criticism because- No, it's fair. As you pointed out, there are- many places that need support and this is simply the biggest bucket that we had access to i mean you know the what is it uh two percent of the world identifies as non-binary or something other and 98 percent of the world identifies as male or female and so if we're going to split the bucket the biggest buckets we're going to get are these two buckets and and we put in a transgender and non-binary policy to make sure that the two percent didn't get left behind um and they got to come along too and we do things throughout our race to mm-hmm. try and you know make sure that we're making people feel seen for who they are right but i think going back to your question it's just um there's i mean there's only so much we can do or two-person show and this isn't it's his primary gig and it's not i, I hate to say this right but it's just putting con it into con like context is it's his primary gig, my part-time gig. We're trying to tackle as much as we can, but we're also a a small business and there's only so much we can do at once with just the two of us. So, but it doesn't mean it's any less important. It's just, we keep trying to tackle the biggest things first. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, we, we still try to mitigate where we can on case by case basis or other opportunities as they arise. Um, you know, and so we have uh, kind of like a revolving pool of not only the scholarship money, but if someone reaches out and they're like, hey, they want to run a race, but it's just too expensive. What can I do? We're like, hey, what can you do? We'll, we'll figure out the rest kind of thing. And so, mm. you know, we try to do that to mitigate economic issues. We've got 
Um, we've given spots away to um, BIPOC um, runner, running groups yeah. to give away. We've done it for indigenous groups. We've done it for um, black groups, uh, Latino groups. And basically what we've realized is, you know, we need, we aren't experts in that space. In fact, we barely touch those spaces. So we're ignorant as shit here. And so if someone comes up to us and they're like, I'd like to do this, can you help me? We almost never say no. I, we, mm -hmm. we always find a way to do something. But finding those groups and, and finding people who want to do something with us is oftentimes the biggest challenge. And so that, that I think is where the sport itself can really benefit from just working together. I mean, there are certain races that are, take place in uh, states and counties that are predominantly Black. They're going to have massively more opportunities to bring in Black people and Black culture and mm. speak to Black backgrounds than we possibly could in a state that's 2%, 5% Black and 30% Latino. Other states have zero Latinos. We have 30%. We could work there, you know, Indigenous places in general, if you're closer to your reservation or not. And so there, it would be sweet to see a lot of races sort of cherry pick opportunities based on their communities around them and say, what am I suited to here? Oh, I can really work with inner city stuff. Oh, I can really work with rural people. Oh, I can, you know, and, and just tailor their race to pick one thing or maybe two mm. and just charge on that and see what you can get done. And and from the, the differences you've noticed in provisions and uh, the changes from now to four years prior when it was more male, what advice would you give to other race organizers on what you think has been essential in making a race more appealing and, and also given the support needed for more female runners? I think there's, I think there's baseline things that every race should be doing. Um, <clears throat> looking at their leadership team and who's on it, making sure you have equitable spots for men, women, BIPOC groups, just diverse, make it a diverse group, right? No creepy dudes. Um, what? No creepy dudes. No creepy dudes, <laughs> creepy dudes. they're out. <laughs> um, and that's both like in like the background organizing team and also who you see come race day, right? Cause that's important. Like that you have captains that are leading these on the ground teams that every, there's differences everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so in leadership, uh, in race policies, so We've got a pregnancy or new child is really what we call it um, policy, which applies to families regardless of gender, if they've birthed a child, if they've adopted a child, like make it an encompassing policy. Um, because I think that's actually one of the things that has really made a difference on who's showing up to our race. Um, and they're easy to do. I mean, it's not hard to put these, it's not a big lottery thing that you have to do. You can put that in place, same with our, our transgender and um, non-binary policy, those are very easy to do. Um, essentially, it's making a statement to your community that like, this is what we stand for and we're putting our money where our mouth is and how it's going to interact, how we'll interact with you in your life, right? So those things, um, the language and the images races use on their websites and in advertising. So making sure there's diverse images of people there. And, um, and then it starts getting down. I mean, I think those are like the three baseline things that I think everyone should be doing. And then after yeah, that qualifiers, I would add in and there. qualifiers, maybe if you're in a hundred mile space, you typically have qualifiers, making sure the qualifiers aren't discriminating against certain groups, um, certain genders is, is going to make your race more accessible. So I think those, those four probably mm -hmm. be the big buckets. And then after that, I think it gets very race specific, right? And that's where you've heard Caleb say, look, like we're really proud of our lottery, but it doesn't apply to everyone. Not everyone can do this. Um, there's plenty of races that just, you would have a revolt really, I think. And you'd mm -hmm. alienate too many people within your community by doing that. And so, but you could do other things. Like what are your cutoffs doing? What are the other mm -hmm. things that you've built within your community that are supporting? If you can't do a lottery, like, can you do other things to support? Like yeah. 
again, is there some outreach that you could do for specific interest groups to like encourage that relationship? Um, I mean, there's really small ones like yeah. having pads and tampons at aid stations. Pads and tampons. Having yeah. bathrooms where people can can you know safely use a restroom is fine. Not having space for breastfeeding yeah. or just or changing. Mm -hmm. People would like some privacy, right? Yeah. Making sure people can get pacers in spots, like for beginners that want to have pacers in difficult spots, you make sure that they can get a crew person in and run through the same you know, dangerous spots with, with a friend or somebody so they're safer. I mean, there's lots of little stuff. Um, that are specific. I yeah, think. it specific. just really depends on the race itself. Mm. But I think it just requires taking a step back and people looking at their event and going, well, where are our like choke points or gaps? right? Because it's mm -hmm. very personal for each race, depending on where they're putting it on. Yeah. And I, I think this is sort of more of an interjection, but it touches on your question. So forgive me for, for the bit of a segue here. Um, but we are, we are the owners and faces of the race, but we have a leadership team of nine directors. We're both a director. And so there's seven other directors, 24, aid station captains and co-captains, which are the people that actually manage the individual spots where we have aid stations. Um, and so we have a team of about 30 people that are putting this race on. And, you know, like Kelsey said, we have a diverse team. We've got more women on our director roles than men. Um, we've got a female course director, which is one of the few in the nation. Um, our medical directors are both female doctors that are nationally renowned. Um, we've got every aid station captain has done a hundred miler. Like there's a lot of things in there and those people bring stuff to us. They see something and they're like, Hey, we could do this. Let's do that. And you're like, mm -hmm. great, done. Let's do it. You don't have, L we, listening we to don't, your people. Yeah. yeah it's like, not, this is, it's our race, but it's not like no, we very much, you know, and so our, our medical directors, remember at one point made a tweak to one of our medical policies because of our transgender policy. Um, because it, they wanted to make it more, uh, I think it was just, it was outdated. And they were like, hey, we we're going to fix this. Is that okay? Like, yeah, please, by all means, fix this. And then one year, Kelsey was like, we're putting tampons at all aid stations. And I was like, great. I didn't know we didn't have them or we needed to. It's just like, there's so many things like that that are mm. obvious once you do them. But if somebody points them out, you get to them sooner. I know. So having that many staff means you do see a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And picking the right people, right? I think we've just been really fortunate to have. Mm. Um, an incredible group of people that like are just as passionate about everyone's mm -hmm. experience. And mm -hmm. that's from volunteer to runner yeah. that, and we've created a culture of like, please tell us we'll do that. Like, tell us what we're missing. Yeah. Um, that it's just when <laughs> you're laughing because you're thinking of examples. <laughs> well, sorry, yeah, I just thinking about like, we do a runner survey after the races, <laughs> like every race we send them out. We actually have to send ours out. We've, we've delayed them for no reason. Um, but yeah, sometimes we, we, <laughs> Our open door policy gets us some really interesting feedback that aren't particularly useful, but we get a lot of good stuff. We get all the feedback, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the creepy like, again. <laughs> one that I think is hilarious. We we have predominantly green pine trees and we use red course markings. And two years ago, we had a red green colorblind runner. So they couldn't see any of our course markings. And they were like, hey guys, you might want to maybe change those when you get a chance. And we were like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah I mean you just cool. wouldn't you wouldn't consider that, would you? Unless Got it. No, and yeah. so we we like sent out some surveys to some blind and vision impaired runners we know, and we're like, what color would you prefer to see? And we got like two back, and we're changing our course markings this year for that. And then it's like I never thought I'd deal with colors on course <laughs> markings that way. Yeah, we do our best, but we don't. And have you have people from? big races being in touch do you get a sense uh, sorry and that's the big race is the wrong word i don't mean to say that as if yours isn't a that's big right track. No, we're no. just so piddly <laughs> but <laughs> in terms of i mean we've, we've already discussed utm bastards already um <laughs> and there are other organizations as you say that are trapped in their um almost trapped by their community probably wouldn't allow them to to take too big a step in this direction but do you get a sense that this your race policy is being noted and, and almost um, watched from afar with eager eyes. Yeah. Well, I can't yeah. speak for the eagerness of the yeah, eyes, but eager. it's being watched. <laughs> yeah, it's being watched. Yeah, I think we get a lot of conversations in the background, big race or not, of people reaching out to us about all of our policies to understand, like, how did it go? Can I borrow this? Can I use this language? We freely 
want people to, if they think it will fit for them, that's great. But yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, look, you've seen changes in the hard rocker lottery in the last couple of years. That conversation is still ongoing. We mm. see everyone, a lot of people still talking about it. Western um, states. Western states. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's certainly, um, look, we've stuck our neck out there. Right. And, mm. uh, people I think mostly respect it and are trying to figure out how they also can be a part of improving the community. Cause at the end of the day, all, all of the races are, I think everyone pretty much means well, besides maybe there's a handful of, a handful of shitheads we won't name. Um, and everyone wants to do better and everyone's just trying to figure out what their role is and how much they can move that needle. Right. And Amazing. Think, yeah. Too, okay. We've been benefited by a lot of the races we just talked about. I mean, Hard Rock was massively instrumental in helping us in our early days. And we used their lottery as sort of an example of things we didn't really want to emulate. Um, but we were able to take advantage of them being in the learning seat for 10 years on their own and learn from them. And then they, in turn, reached out to us after they were going to make some changes and picked our brains. And, and you know, they they did what they can do and other races are doing what they can do. And, and so long as people are talking about it, we're going somewhere because the solutions can vary and should vary, frankly. Um, you know, and so it'll be interesting to see, we took our transgender policy from Western states and then Western states changed their pregnancy policy after we had made ours a little looser. I don't think they did it because of us, but now there's more races that are doing it. And UTMB took a shit ton of shit over their pregnancy policy. And hopefully now they're going to make- Do they have good. one? I think they have yeah. one, but they, they have a, don't they have a secret one? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, they they say prize money and pregnancy uh, policy were both in the rules this year without announcements. So, yeah. um, which which is good, I guess. Um, but no announcement in a way shows they know they were in the, in the wrong the whole time and didn't want to draw any uh, light on that but um yeah. well thank you so much for for coming to the podcast is there anything else you think would be useful to kind of share for other race organizers or um, anything any other shout outs or promotion you'd like to do lottery opens in january 2nd so if you're interested in running put your name in or come out and volunteer if you just want to see what Thanks it's about and we've only had a few british runners we'd love her yeah love a few more there you go, too bad as you've heard it. And well, we have quite a few American listeners as well. So hopefully some of them will sign up too. And well, um, if, well, well, next time I'm out, if I assume we'll be going out to Pikes Peak next year for the race, I'll give you a shout if we are. But um, if yeah. not, next time I'm, I'm that way, I will give you a shout and we can uh, go see some of the trail. <laughs> you what should you come uh, come stay. Race week gets to be busy, but other than that, <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a guest room that's open to to whatever runners in the area so you're always welcome to come stay and likewise if you ever pass through london let me know i will uh take you out and about sounds good thank you david cheers guys take care All right. Bye. so there you go do ballast really love that actually really love that because we're we're still discovering you know as a podcast certain topics that we haven't discussed before that may have been have been discussed in every other podcast but as i said previously we haven't really talked to any race organizers in america and it's through my trip to to pikes peak and to flagstaff um i've got a bit more of a sense of some of the american trail culture but it's i've always thought that it, it just amazes me how expensive and small American races are. And now because of the, the rules on how many people are allowed to actually race, um, which in some ways is great because it means you're going to have loads and loads of races, but it, it does, in, 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 as, as we, they can attest, um, make it hard for people to actually make a living out of it. And there is a, a certain level of stability that races need to have continuity. Um, and so hopefully it won't affect American races where ultras have sprung up hugely in the last 10 years. Um, hopefully the fact that it is so hard to actually be financially viable won't damage the, um, the, the progression of those runs for years and years and years. Um, but thanks for listening, guys. I really enjoyed that episode. If you've, if you'd liked that one, I'm trying to think of other good 
episodes that are, are similar themed or similar topics. We spoke to Save Power a few weeks ago about She Runs, which is an organisation they've set up to try and um, educate and enable races to be able to position themselves correctly and also provide the right sort of provisions to encourage as many females to be running. Um, in terms of race organisers, we have spoken to quite a few. We've spoken to uh, Mark Steele, who um, does some incredibly hard races in the North of England, organises those. We've spoken to Jim Mee, who does a lot of international races. Um, Steve Diedrich, who organises the British contingent for the Marathon Sabs. Um, Marathon Sabbles. So all of those are really good ones to listen to. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss in the future, then do let us know. Or any people you'd like me to interview, then message me, David at Bad Boy Running. And we always ask for a keyword to be left in the reviews, something fun to, um, to try and sneak in there. What would the one be this time? Um, creepy dude. So if you're going to leave us a review, please put creepy review. Like, yeah, I can see where this is going to go. <laughs> this is going to come right back on my face, isn't it? But thanks for listening, guys. Please do subscribe. Uh, tell your friends, yada, yada, yada. And we'll see you next time. But a bye, 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 bye. But a bye, 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 bye. Admit I was a clone to be messing around But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town Come back Yes, and give me one more try Cause a love like this should I never ever die Come back Fuck you, buddy